You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. So my name's Hetel and I'm part of the leadership team here at Manchester Vineyard. And today I want to talk to you about the topic of trusting God. So if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you'll likely have been encouraged by others to put your trust in God. Especially in difficult or trying circumstances, it's not uncommon to hear people tell you to trust God. And rightly so, because trusting God is really important. And bringing it down to a basic level, putting our faith in Jesus, saying that we follow him and are Christian, involves putting our trust in him. This is because faith in Jesus involves not only knowing and believing that Jesus is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world, but trusting in him to be the Lord and Saviour of our lives. And in the Bible, we see that even demons know and believe in Jesus as the Son of God. So it's not enough to know and believe Jesus, but we have to trust him. We can't have faith without an element of trust. So trusting God is a really important aspect of our faith. This, however, does not mean that it's easy to trust God fully. I think trusting God is one of those truths we think we understand, one of those things that we think we're doing well, until something hard happens in our life. And we're called upon to trust God in our difficult circumstance. And it's then that we discover that there's more to it than we first realised. And over the past few years, the Lord has been taking me on a journey to bring me to a place of total trust in him. A place where I've been able to surrender it all to him. But it's a journey which continues, as trust is a daily exercise. Because if I'm being totally honest, I can find it hard to trust God completely. When things are going well in my life, when things are easier, when there's no financial or job or health or relational concerns, well then, of course I trust you, God. Everything's going just the way I want it to. But when things are hard, when money is tight, when there's a difficult relational dynamic, when there's a new symptom to go to the doctor with, I find it so much more difficult to trust God because things aren't the way I hope them to be. And I know I'm not alone. In our cultural moment, trust is something that many people in our society struggle with. It's hard for us to trust others, let alone trust God. The Edelman Trust Barometer conducts online research surveying trust in society. The results from their 2022 survey don't look good. They found that distrust is now society's default emotion. Nearly six in ten say their default tendency is to distrust something until they see evidence that is trustworthy. Major institutions such as the government and media are no longer trusted. And without faith in these institutions, people are worried about things like fake news, unemployment and finances more than ever before. And there's not just an increase in distrust of our institutions, but of people as well. In the UK in 2021, only 43% of people think that most people can be trusted. So that's 57% of people that believe that most people can't be trusted. And this has significant effects on our society. When you just trust people, you withdraw from them, you don't open up emotionally, you don't listen to their point of view, you don't work together. So the result is a society that's more polarised, suspicious and broken than ever before. And what happens when we can't trust the institutions or the people around us? We default to trusting ourselves. When everyone and everything seems untrustworthy, we look inwards and trust the only person left, ourselves. 
And this cultural moment has affected us as Christians, making it hard to trust our churches, our leaders, the people in our small groups, and ultimately making it hard to trust God. When our default is trusting ourselves, our own abilities, emotions and thoughts, then often God is just taken out of the picture. But you may well know that the Bible has a lot to say about trust. So you may be familiar with the verse from Proverbs, so Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. As Christians, we're called to be a people of trust. People of trust even in a culture of suspicion. And we're not to trust in ourselves, to be self-sufficient, to rely on our own abilities and achievements, but to trust in God. And this verse says that we're meant to trust God with all of ourselves. So verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not part of your heart, but all of it. So heart in the original language, biblical Hebrew, has broader connotations than our modern understanding of it. For the biblical authors, the heart was not only an organ that gave physical life to the body, but the centre of all emotions. You can feel joy, pain and fear in your heart. And on top of that, the heart was also the centre of intellectual activity, as there was no concept of a brain. So you could know, understand and have wisdom in your heart. And on top of that, the heart was also the place where people made choices that were motivated by their desires. So essentially, the heart was the centre of all human faculties. So we're called to trust God with our emotions, our thoughts, our intellect, desires, all of it. We're to trust God with all of ourselves. But not only that, we're called to trust God with everything. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him. This isn't some of your ways or the ways you find most easy or most convenient. In all our ways, in everything we do, we're called to know and recognise his authority, his activity, his guidance, his plans and purposes. We're to trust God with everything that we do. And this isn't really how trust works in our everyday relationships. In our everyday relationships, trust is rarely absolute. You rarely trust someone with all of yourself and with everything. But it's restricted to particular events and situations. So I'm married... My husband Thomas is great, and there's plenty of things I trust him with. I trust that he'll go to the shop when I ask him to and pick up food. I'm allergic to gluten, so I trust that he will not sprinkle breadcrumbs all over my food before handing me dinner. And I trust that he'll look after our daughter well and that he'll stick with me till death do us part. However, there's also plenty of things I don't trust him with. One example being, during COVID-19 lockdown, when all non-essential shops were shot, I had a bit of a dilemma on my hands. So I usually get my eyebrows threaded every three weeks. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's essentially a very fancy form of plucking using a piece of thread. You see, I've got dark and thick eyebrows, which is excellent, but it means that they need a lot of taming to look good. So many months into the lockdown, my eyebrows were not in a good way. They had overgrown, they were totally unruly. It honestly felt like I had two horizontal tree trunks on my face, which is not ideal when you're wearing a mask as it was practically the only thing people could see. (laughs) So seeing my distress, Thomas offered to do something about it. He watched a YouTube video, how to thread your eyebrows, (laughs) found a piece of string in our cupboard, (laughs) practiced threading the hair on his knee, (laughs) and then offered to shape up my eyebrows for me. An offer, I, an offer I politely but firmly declined. <laughs> um, 
If any of you have experienced threading, you will know that it's not a pain-free experience and that an experienced beautician makes a big difference, not only to your pain levels, as in it's less painful, but also to the outcome, nicely defined eyebrows or a patchy mess. And it's safe to say I did not and still do not trust Thomas to thread my eyebrows. I trust him with many things, but not everything. And I trust him with a lot of myself, but not all of my heart. So for an example, it comes to eyebrow threading, I don't trust him over trusting experienced beautician. I don't wholeheartedly trust him over all others in all things. But the issue is, this is not how trust works with God. We're not called to trust God sometimes and with some things. We're called to trust him at all times and all things. In every situation and circumstance, every day, every moment, every decision, we're called to trust him. And this is something we can find really hard to do. And there's many reasons why we find it hard to trust God. For some of us, it's to do with our past, our families. Some of us were betrayed by key authority figures in our lives, so we find it hard to trust God. Some of us, because of our earthly fathers, we have a distorted view of God our Father. We don't see him as a loving father who seeks our good in every circumstance. And some of us are just too busy to trust God. We've got our own agendas, our schedules. There's no space in our lives to trust him. We don't spend any time with him to allow him to speak into our lives and guide us. And then others of us are perfectionists. We struggle to let go of things and trust God as they have to be just right. We cling on to every task, falsely believing that we can manufacture perfection. And those are some of the reasons we find it hard to trust God. But I think the main reason we find it hard to trust God, and a reason that applies to all of us, is our need or desire to be in control. We want things our own way. We don't want to face challenges, hardships or trials. We want pleasure and a lot of it. And we want things on our own time. And that's often right now. Trusting God means surrendering our lives to him, to his ways, his will, his timings, his outcomes. But we don't want to surrender or submit to him. Instead, we want to have life on our own terms. We want to control our lives ourselves. And this is nothing new. We've been vying for control and not trusting God from the beginning. Rather than trust God as a good creator and a generous host, rather than trust God's good plans and purposes for them, Adam and Eve in Genesis, tempted by the snake, doubt God's goodness and attempt to seize control of the situation. Instead of submitting to God, they try to become gods themselves. Instead of trusting God, they try to control things themselves. And many thousands of years later, humans are still trying to control things. And why? Well, because feeling out of control is scary. If we don't have control over our lives, then there's uncertainty. And uncertainty is scary. It means things may happen that we don't want. Whatever vision we have for our lives, our families, may not happen if we don't have control. And not having control can bring up feelings of worry and fear. When we don't know what the present or the future holds, this fear can set in. When we can't control the world around us, we can become anxious about what is to pass. Analyzing, thinking, ruminating over all possible scenarios that can play out. We can be paralyzed by what if thinking, what if this happens or doesn't happen. We can even live in the fear of the worst case scenario, even though that probably isn't our reality. And I am definitely prone to thinking like that. If I hear a bang downstairs, oh no, an axe-wielding murderer has entered into the house. 
rather than thinking that the windows are open, the winds come in and just shut one of the doors. Or perhaps Thomas is late back from work, and immediately I'm going through all the disasters that could have happened. His work set on fire, his car set on fire, he set on fire. <laughs> Instead of thinking that he's probably just stuck in a bit of traffic. Not having control, living in uncertainty, can lead to this sort of mindset, one of fear and anxiety. So we seek control because we seek rest, freedom from uncertainty, fear and worry. If we think we can control things, then we don't have to worry about the outcome, as it's all under our control. That way we can sit back and relax. The reality is, though, by seeking to control things, instead of finding rest, we find exhaustion, as we actually don't have the control we wish we did have over our worlds. Whether we realise it or not, many of us in our modern culture battle with this idol of control. In our modern culture, we're often fed the illusion that we do have control in our lives with the increasing numbers of choices we can make. Different flavors, brands, jobs, countries, and so on. We have the mistaken impression that we can control our present and futures by the choices we make, more so than any previous generation. Also, advances in technology make us feel like we have control. With a click, we can organize a lunch date, order a food shop, or be entertained by the latest video game. But the reality is that this control we think we have is just an illusion. Studies have shown that in reality, adults in the West have control of 15% of their lives. I mean, 15%, it's not even half. It's basically nothing. We don't have control over where we're born, our parents, our race, education, health, other people, and so on. But as humans, we feel we want to have control. We want to stop those feelings of fear and anxiety and unrest creeping in. So we fight our circumstances, people, God, whatever and whoever it is that we think is stopping us having control. And we take things into our own hands. We do whatever we need to do to stay in control. So we try to control three, uh, four things, our timings, outcomes, others, and even God himself. So let's take them one at a time. Timings. Many find it really hard to trust God with timings. We might want our dream job, a relationship, a child, retirement, a house. And as it's hard being in a rubbish job or feeling lonely or living somewhere you don't want to, we take things into our own hands. I wonder if you've fallen into that trap. Instead of trusting God's timing for a relationship, we might start to date someone that we probably shouldn't date because it's better than staying single. Or instead of trusting God with our job, we quit our job prematurely or we lie, coerce and manipulate the system to get the job we really want. Instead of trusting God with our finances, we stop being generous or we cheat on our taxes. The problem with trying to bring our desired future into the present is that we often end up sabotaging our future altogether. We might lose out on the job, partner, house, future that was better for us all because we took things into our own hands and tried to get the thing we wanted now. Taking timings into our own hands rarely has the effect we want it to, but we still try, try to control timings wherever we can. And then secondly, outcomes. We find it hard to trust God with outcomes. We want things to turn out a certain way because we just want the things we want. We might want this job, this house, this partner, this friendship group, this degree, and so on. We struggle to trust in God's plans and purposes for us. And not only that, but we want to avoid suffering. We don't want to experience any suffering or pain or hardship. And of course, that's understandable. 
Suffering isn't good. We wouldn't wish it on ourselves. It's hard and painful. But unfortunately, we live in a fallen world where suffering still exists. And until Jesus returns, suffering is, suffering is very much a part of our world. And in fact, Jesus tells us to expect it. John 16:33. I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the meantime, as we wait for Jesus' return, God promises that he will be with us, that nothing will take us from his hands, that he will use our suffering for good, that our suffering is not purposeless or meaningless, even if we don't understand it. And he gives us strength, comfort, endurance, joy, everything we need to travel through it well. But this is so hard for us to accept. We live in a culture that lives for pleasure, that places the highest value on pleasure. And by default, suffering is not acceptable to us, as it's the opposite of pleasure. And this affects us as Christians. We know that in this world, suffering remains, but we don't expect suffering to come our way. So we have a crisis when it does come, and then we struggle to cooperate with God when it's here. We struggle to turn to him, depend on him, allow him to use it to shape us, allow him to use it to help others. So instead of trusting God with the outcomes of our life, we try to control our outcomes as much as we can, to get as much pleasure and as minimal suffering as we can. We do whatever it takes to get what we want. And when it doesn't happen, we're mad at ourselves and others and God. And then thirdly, we try to control others. People are unpredictable and don't often do what we want them to do. So we might try to control or manipulate them, and often it's really subtle. We might gossip about someone to control other people's thoughts about them. We might withhold our praise or affirmation to keep someone feeling insecure so they continue to work for our affection. We try to control others for our own gain and security. And then finally, we try to control God. Atheists can do this by demanding signs and wonders from God. They can dismiss the evidence of resurrection, the Bible as God's revelation, creation, the witness of millions of Christians throughout the ages, instead demanding a sign from God right now that they can, so they can be persuaded to believe. And I know I was in that category before I came to know Jesus. But sadly, Christians also fall into the trap of trying to control God too. We think that if we're holy enough, if we pray enough, if we tithe, then God will give us what we want. We'll never have any problems, face any suffering, have any financial worries. We'll get our happily ever after. I wonder if you've ever thought like that. But this isn't how our relationship with God works. And so when these things don't work out, we get, we get mad at God for not doing what we want him to do. And we see it in the Bible. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, ready to do the Father's will on the cross, the crowds welcome him with much enthusiasm and joy. And then three days later, the same crowds are shouting, crucify him, wanting Jesus to die. And why? Because Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. They wanted someone who would overthrow the Romans with force, and not Jesus, who seemingly ended up helpless in the Romans' hands on the cross. Manipulating obedience so we get God to do what we want, wanting God to do our will over his, wanting God to serve us as if he's our servant and not the other way around, None of that is living a life of trusting God, but living a life of trying to control God. And this isn't what trusting God is meant to look like. And sadly, the end result of a life of control is sadness, anger, bitterness, restlessness, exhaustion, being mad at ourselves, the world, and with God, 
because things aren't turning out the way we hope them to be. The result of not trusting God and instead trying to control our lives ourselves isn't rest, success and happiness, but the total opposite. So, so far, we've acknowledged that trusting God completely isn't easy. We've seen that for many of us, it's hard because we want to be in control. We try to control timings, outcomes, people, and even God himself. But we've discovered that being in control is impossible, and that trying to be in control brings exhaustion and sadness, instead of bringing the rest we so desperately long for. So how do we trust God completely? What does it even look like? And there are many inspiring examples of people trusting God in the Bible that we can look at for help. But the ultimate example of trusting God is found in Jesus. Jesus models to us perfectly what it looks like to trust our Heavenly Father. So for the last part of this talk, we're going to look at what we can learn from Jesus' trust of the Father. Jesus trusted his Father to the point of death. And we see on the cross that Jesus' final words were ones of trust. So Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. So Jesus' final words were ones of trust. Father, I entrust my life into your hands. I entrust my death into your hands. He gave up his life trusting God. And you might think, well, it's easy for Jesus to trust the Father. He's the Son of God, after all. But the Bible shows us that trusting the Father with his death, taking on all the sins of humanity to the point of death, was hard for him to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus was betrayed and arrested, in the run-up to his death on the cross, Jesus says, so this is Mark 14, verses 34 to 36, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, said to the disciples, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, overwhelmed with the prospect of the cross, asked the Father if another way is possible. Matthew's Gospel shows him praying three times, and Luke's Gospel describes his prayers as earnest and intense. It wasn't easy for Jesus to trust God in this moment, but he submits and surrenders to the Father's will for the benefit of all of us here today. So what can we learn from Jesus' great display of trust on the cross? Well, there's three things. So firstly, trust God before your emotions. In Gethsemane, Jesus experiences some strong emotions. He says that he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He falls to the ground and prays with intensity to the Father. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is described as being in such agony that his sweat was like great great drops of blood falling to the ground. But Jesus didn't let his emotions control him. If he had allowed this, then he wouldn't have submitted to the Father's will. He would have let the sorrow and agony deter him from the cross. And emotions are obviously important. They're not inherently bad. They're God-given gifts to help us build and sustain relationships with God, others, and the world. And Jesus' emotions towards the cross were appropriate. They reflected the gravity of what he was about to do, taking on judgment for the sin of humanity, and as a result, experiencing separation from God. But for us, for me and you, our emotions aren't completely trustworthy because they're affected by sin. Sometimes they're just not good emotions. Lust, pride, envy, 
sometimes they're inappropriate. For example, anger is someone who gets the promotion you want. Or feeling unloved by God, despite God telling us he loves us. That's quite a common one in the Christian life, trusting our feelings about ourselves instead of trusting what God says about us. And then also, emotions are fickle. They can change every moment. They're easily swayed by people and circumstances. And as a result, we can't trust them over trusting in God. Our feelings can lead us to do what we feel is right and good and pleasurable, regardless of whether it is considered righteous by God and regardless of whether it is in obedience to God or not. So like Jesus, we need to acknowledge our feelings. And instead of being swayed by the rise and fall of our various emotions, we submit them to the Father's will for our lives and trust God before our emotions. And then secondly, trust God before your circumstances. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus praying that the situation he's in, the task he's about to take on, being crucified on the cross and separated from the Father, we see him praying for it to pass. Mark 14, 35, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. But then Jesus goes on to say, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He knows that everything is possible for the Father, that the Father could whisk him away into the heavenlies so he doesn't have to face the cross. But he chooses to submit to his will instead of escaping or avoiding the situation because he trusted the Father, his overarching plans and purposes over the humility and foolishness of the cross. Jesus knew that trusting God does not mean that everything will be easy. He knew it meant a life of joy, but also a life of suffering. And I think this is something we conveniently try to forget as Christians. Jesus took on immense suffering, and as as his followers, we will do as well. Trusting God does not mean everything will go the way we want it to. Believers across the world are murdered for their faith. Some lose their jobs, their livelihoods for their faith. We can mistakenly believe that when we're going through suffering, that something has gone horribly wrong, that God has forgotten us, that he isn't who he says he is, that he doesn't care or love for us, that his plans and purposes aren't working out. But the Bible contradicts this idea. And I said it earlier, Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And some of the most godly characters in the Bible suffered immensely. And here's a few, but don't worry if they're not familiar to you. But Joseph was unfairly prisoned for years. Ruth was widowed at an early age and became a vulnerable poor peasant. Job lost everything, his children, his possessions and health. Suffering and pain is sadly something every follower of Jesus must face. And sometimes it becomes clear why we, why we are suffering. Jesus suffered to save us. Joseph suffered to save Israel. Ruth suffered to join the line of David, which led to Jesus. But sometimes it's not. Job suffered and he never figures out why. And I'm sure we can all name something we've gone through that fits that category. Premature death of a loved one, loss of health ourselves, losing a job, family breakdown, and so on. But we take heart knowing Jesus suffered immensely to ushering the kingdom. And when the kingdom comes here in fullness, there'll be no suffering, no pain, no tears for eternity, forever. Our circumstances should not dictate whether we trust God or not. Jesus knew to trust the Father before the circumstances he faced. And he models to us to do the same. 
Jesus trusted God before his emotions and circumstances. Instead of controlling his circumstances and clinging on to his life, he submitted and surrendered as an act of trust to God. But how? How does Jesus trust despite his circumstances and emotions? And that brings me on to the third thing we can learn. The key to trusting is knowing the Father. On the cross, Jesus shouts, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And that phrase, I entrust my spirit into your hands, is from Psalm 31, verse 5. That verse is when Jewish parents would have taught their children to pray before bedtime. In case something was to happen in, in the night, Jews would entrust their lives into God's hands. And this is what Jesus quotes on the cross. A children's bedtime prayer. He expresses a childlike, intimate, knowing trust of the Father as he entrusts his life into his hands. And then at Gethsemane, when Jesus was overwhelmed with his emotions and by his circumstances, he turns to the Father. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy, a language Jesus would have used. So Jesus calls out to his daddy for comfort, reassurance, and guidance. Knowing his father is the key to his trust. Knowing his character, his promises, and remembering all that he's done. And we need to do the same. We need to know the father. We need to know his characters, his promises, and remember all that he's done for us. So just thinking about his character, we need to remember that he loves us. He gave up his son so we could be in an intimate relationship with him again. He calls us his children and invites us to relate to him like a daddy, to trust him like a child would do their dad. And the Bible also describes the father as faithful, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, kind, truthful, just, and good. And unlike us, the father is consistent. His attributes and character remains the same. He is and always will be faithful, compassionate, and so on. As we reflect on his character, we realize that he is worthy of our trust. We also need to remember his promises, and these are found all over the Bible. The Father promises to save us through his Son and gives us new life. He promises never to leave us or forsake us, that no one can snatch us out of his hands. He promises that all things work out for our good. He promises us every spiritual blessing, comfort in our trials, peace when we pray, and to finish the work he started off in us. He promises a future where he will dwell with us again, one where there'll be no pain, no suffering or tears. And we know that he will keep his promises because of his character. He is faithful, but also because of what he's already done for us. God the Father has shown us his trustworthiness by his actions, by his act of salvation. He did not abandon us, but provided a way to save us. He sent us his son, Jesus, to die for us. So knowing the Father's character, promises, and actions can help us trust him. And they are more than enough warrant to put our complete trust in him. But as humans, psychologists speak about how the development of trust in a relationship is often a gradual process. Developing trust requires positive interactions, experiences, and events. Moments where you experience the Father's love, faithfulness, and commitment to you. And this is why we have to commit to spending time with him, to reading his word and, and praying, allowing him to speak and answer our prayers. And we need to commit to spending time in community where we experience God's love through others and the manifest presence of God through his spirit. 
and commit to serving him with our gifts and being on mission with him to serve the least, the last and the lost, allowing him to move in power in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We can't expect our trust to be strong if we don't commit to doing life with him. So we remember the Father's character, promises and actions and commit to developing a relationship with him as the key to trusting God is knowing the Father. So we've looked at a lot today. We've explored how we live in a culture of distrust, a culture that encourages us to put our trust in ourselves. We've looked at how and why it's hard to trust God completely, how our desire for control is one of the biggest things that stops us trusting God. And we've looked at the example of Jesus, what he teaches us about trusting God. Because the reality is there are two ways of living our lives as humans, trusting God and surrendering to his rule and will over our lives, or trying to be God ourselves, not trusting him, and instead desperately clinging on to the few things that we can control. So one of the greatest decisions we all have to make in our lives is who are we going to trust with our lives, ourselves or God? I said just before, the psychologists explain how the development of trust is often a gradual process. However, they also explain that to fully trust someone, at some point, we just have to let go and do it. We have to let go of our uncertainties, our doubts and fears, and just trust. So it might be that you're in a place where you just need to do it. You need to let go of your control, your worries and fears, and launch yourself into the hands of the Father. So what is it that's stopping you from trusting God today? What is it that you've been trying to control and you need to surrender and submit to him? How would you end the phrase, Father, into your hands I commit my? What has the Holy Spirit been prompting you to do during this talk? Father, into your hands I commit my relationship status, my children, my finances, my health, my career, my future. Surrender is the posture of kingdom living. God is calling us today to trust him completely for the thousandth time, but maybe even the first time. And we can trust God completely. He is worthy of our trust. So if you'd just like to stand, if you're able. We're just going to take a moment to welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us today. So just encourage you to, um, to close your eyes, to maybe even open up your hands as if you're welcoming him. And we'll just see what he wants to do with us this morning. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Come move amongst us this morning. Someone sh- uh, shared a picture this morning that they had before the talk of uh, ships out at sea but close to a harbour. And we all know that no ship can stay out there forever. You know, they need to be refueled and repainted. And there were two senses. Uh, one was that when a ship comes in, a, a line needs to be thrown out and it needs to be pulled all the way in. And there are people here this morning who 
just have struggled with being sure that that is that's what's going to happen. There really is a space for me in there, and and the father's saying like, yeah, yeah, there is. I'll I'll throw you a line. I have thrown you a line. I'm longing for you to come in. And then that there are also people who, um, as they do come into harbour, they. Uh, and and the, the boat's being inspected. They realise actually that the name, or you know, they have a name painted on at the front, don't they? Has been worn off, and and that's like a picture of identity. There are people who something's just been lost along the way, or maybe there's completely the wrong name on the boat, and the father's just like, right, I'll I'll sort that out. I can I can help you. I know who you are. I know what your identity is. But as Hessel's been saying this morning, it's a trust thing, isn't it? Is there space for me? If I if I surrender, how's that gonna go? But the invitation is there before you this morning to come into Jesus from wherever, however far out. So Father, I just pray this morning that there would be just a softness and a willingness to respond to you Jesus you're always calling always watching always for us always trustworthy over the last few days as I've been mulling over this talk I've really felt the sense of God's grace in this like Jesus found it hard to trust the Father, of course we're going to find it hard. And God's response to us is not, why aren't you trusting me? It's one of love and grace. It's one of welcome. So if that's you today, if you're just finding it hard to trust God in a certain area of your life, God's response to you is open-handed. It's love, it's grace. He just wants to bring you in closer so you can know him more. So you can rest in him. Um, and it was spoken out about earlier, but I think there's a number of people in this room that are really hungry, just hungry for more of God, hungry for more of his presence, to know him more, to live a life more fully devoted to him. And I think for a number of us today, I include myself in this, like it's a moment to come before God again, to allow someone to pray for you as you just hand over control to him again something that you might be clinging on to that you're really struggling to trust him in. And the Lord wants you to come before him to receive prayer, to meet with him and just to know his goodness, for his love to pour out into you, for that trust to just grow. I was just asking God this week um, what he might want to do in worship and um, I had this picture of like, you know when a cartoon character like steps off a cliff and there's nothing, um, but then 
a path just appears like under his, his feet. Um, and I just had this, I had no idea what Hetzel was speaking on at all, because we're not that organized in this church. And um, I just had this sense that um, for people this Sunday, it was about trusting that the Lord is good um, and will do what he, he says he will do. And he is who he says he is. And then Hetel comes up and starts speaking, and I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. Um, so Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Um, in the message version a little bit earlier in the psalm, it says, God met me more than halfway, and he freed me from my anxious fears. Open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see how good God is. And just that same sense that Hetel has had that um, for one person or a few people, uh, it's time to, to try him out, um, to trust him and just see what happens and trust that he is good. So it's always good when he's speaking the same way. Um, I think this would be a great moment for those of you that um, feel stirred by any of those words or those of you that just want prayer um, for anything, just to come forward. Mm. You come forward to the sides or the front. We would love to come uh, alongside you and pray and just bless what the Holy Spirit is doing. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.